So we are going to be embarking today on a new sermon series. We're going to be taking the next six weeks, and we're going to be diving into this letter of First Corinthians. Um, and th- this is a really interesting book. Scholars love this book because uh, we've got First and Second Corinthians, and Second Corinthians is really kind of a mashup of a bunch of different letters, and so there's just so much information about what was going on in Corinth and what was going on in this ancient community. There's multiple letters and back and forth and conversation, and we can concretely figure out what's going on here. And so uh, the thing is, once you dive in, there are some things that look completely bizarre and outlandish, and you have no clue what's going on. And then when you dig a little deeper, you find hey, I recognize something like that. And then, on the other hand, there's some things that you think you know exactly what's going on, and then you dig a little deeper, and you're like, that is completely foreign. I have no clue where they're coming at that from. Uh, So we're going to be diving into that, and this week we're going to be taking a close look at the beginning of the book, the portion we read, and quite a bit more. We're going to try and get a sense of what's going on in this church. We're going to try and get a sense of what the dynamics are that we're dealing with, that we're going to be seeing in the rest of this series. So here's the problem to start with for Paul's letters. We have one side of the conversation. So these are like actual letters, like I send a letter to somebody as part of a conversation. And the thing is, the people on the other side of the letter most likely disagree. They most likely don't think that the letters are convincing. They most likely don't think Paul is right. Uh, Like any argument, you can't necessarily assume that Paul's representing the other side well, because, you know, you embellish the other side so that you can make your point, right? And and so what we're going to be trying to do is taking this one side of the phone conversation that we hear and trying to figure out, What's going on here anyway? So that we can try and dive in a little bit and see where does this connect with us and where does it not? So if technology works for me, we'll uh, dive in a little bit. So we start with a boring intro. Great. La-di-da. All right. So then this is the section we read. So let's uh, unpack this. Now I encourage you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, agree with each other and do not be divided into rival groups. This is the thesis statement of the whole, the whole book. So this is the important, most important sentence. That this is the problem is if you're telling people to be divided, then the problem seems not to be divided then it seems that the problem is people are divided, right? And so he'll keep spinning off more and more what's happening. And so my brothers and sisters, Chloe's people gave me some information about you, that you're fighting with each other. What I mean is this, that each one of you says, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas, I belong to Christ. All right, so you've got Chloe's people, and they're snitches, and they're tattling on them, and saying, 
they're not behaving. You should do something about it. All right. And so then we've got all these different groups that seem to be identifying with different people. So Paul, obviously the author of the letter. Apollos is another missionary person. Cephas is Peter that you've heard about in the New Testament, right? And there seem to be all these different factions going on. And then, this is uh, one of my favorite passages. Uh, Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? Thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. Except Crispus and Gaius. Uh, So that nobody can say you were baptized in my name. Oh, I uh, baptized the house of Stephanus too. Otherwise, I don't know if I baptized anybody. But that's not the point. (laughs) Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. And Christ didn't send me to preach the good news with clever words so that Christ's cross won't be emptied of its meaning. So now he's shifting a touch, and let's see if we can track where he's going with it. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it is the power of God for those who are being saved. And so out of the blue, bam, he completely shifts to another topic. So theme number one, right? Stay unified, don't be divided, all that kind of stuff. Theme number two, something about being foolish, not being wise, something in that vein. And so he pivots and starts talking about the second thing. And so he's going to riff on this for a while. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And so why is he talking about this? And he'll keep fleshing it out and we'll be able to tell a little bit more. Look at your situation when you were called, brothers and sisters. By ordinary human standards, not many were wise, not many were powerful, not many were from the upper class. Now, this is probably the second most important sentence in the whole book. First one was, don't be divided. This one, not many were wise, not many were powerful, not many were from the upper class. So that gives us Two pieces of information about what we're dealing with here, right? So first of all, not many were those things. But it doesn't say none of those, none. So you've got two different groups. A small group that's powerful, that's wise. So that, that would mean philosophically educated in this time. Uh, from the upper class having a lot of money. And then you've got the majority who aren't. And so this we'll see throughout this series, this is the conflict. This is the the fault line that is creating all sorts of ugly dynamics at the church in Corinth. But do you see what Paul's doing here? So he's siding with the not powerful in the church, the uneducated, the poor, the powerless. He's saying the world says riches and in his day philosophical education and power are the best things ever. But Paul flips that on its head. No, God chooses the foolish. God chooses the uneducated. God chooses the poor. Because So schooling in the ancient world was basically a class thing. You basically only got schooling if you were rich. Um, but 
God doesn't choose those people. God chooses the weak to shame the strong. And then he, uh, and then he continues, and God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what is considered to be nothing, to produce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human can brag in God's presence. So basically, be humble, you big shots. It's, it doesn't impress God. And then he goes on a little later to explain a little bit more. I did this so that your faith might not depend on the wisdom of people, but on the power of God. And then he keeps going a little bit later. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise through Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we are dishonored. Up to this very moment, we are hungry, thirsty, wearing rags, abused and homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are insulted, we respond with a blessing. When we are harassed, we put up with it. When our reputation is attacked, we're encouraged. We have become the scum of the earth, the waste that runs off everything up to the present time. So Paul talks about how this whole thing in God's kingdom is topsy-turvy. Those things that we think are important and give us status aren't so important. They don't matter. And those who fall through the cracks matter a whole lot. But do you remember where we started? The divisions and factions. So then he's said all this kind of stuff and he loops back around and wants to tie them together. So now you are still not up to it because you're still unspiritual. When jealousy and fighting exist between you, aren't you unspiritual and living by human standards? When someone says, I belong to Paul, and someone else says, I belong to Apollos, aren't you acting like people without the Spirit? After all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants who helped you believe. Each one had a role given to them by the Lord. I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. Because of this, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only the one who is any, the only one who is anything is God who makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together, but each one will receive their own reward for their labor. We are God's co-workers, and you are God's field. And then we'll just shift metaphors because. God's building. I laid a foundation like a wise master builder, according to God's grace that was given to me. But someone else is building on top of it. So Paul starts in one place, right? Divisions. Horrible factions, that's the worst. Then moves to another. God chose the powerless and the weak and the poor and then comes back to the beginning and tries to tie it all together. And why did he do that? The thing is, we'll see a ton of this in this series, that there's this series of fault lines running through that ancient congregation between the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor, the powerful, the powerless, the educated, the uneducated. And a few 
are rich and powerful, but most are not. But the power dynamic, the imbalance, mirrors that in society, and the whole thing is out of whack. They're letting these social differences, these dynamics of power, get in the way of them being a congregation. So Paul jumps into the ring, and he says, he doesn't just say stop fighting. He also takes the side of the powerless. And and, and more importantly, he says that God does too. He's claiming that God takes sides between the rich and the poor, educated, uneducated, fault lines, and the power that lies there. He's claiming that God has a, has a preference, has a, takes sides in this conflict. And, and we see plenty of that in our day, too. Uh, if some of you are familiar with what's going on in our denomination right now. There's uh, huge fights over LGBTQ inclusion, uh, practicing marriage, uh, having ordained LGBTQ folks. Um, and the char- so some people uh, have defied the rules against that, saying that this is an unjust rule that we have and we feel compelled by God that we need to defy it to include these people. And the charge that the others who want to maintain those, uh, those policies, the charge that they leverage is you are spreading disunity. You are not focusing on unity. You're splitting the church apart. And frankly, a lot of them point toward this passage and say, look, Paul says you need to be unified. You can't be splitting off. But they miss the bigger picture, the whole four chapters together rather than those couple verses at the beginning where Paul says, yes, we need to be unified, but it can't be at the expense of the weak. It can't be unification on the back of others who don't have enough power to stop it. He takes a stand and claims that God does too. And so as we go on in this series and as we go on in our lives, may you look for how we can be in greater unity with one another, with other Christians, with our fellow brothers and sisters and other religions around the world. May you look for how we can be in greater unity. But may you also look for how to support those with the least power. And may you deeply discern how we can hold those two together. May it be so.